Well, if you would, turn in your Bible with me to uh, 1 John. We continue there. Before we get into chapter 2, we just want to remember what's come before. If you need the Pew Bible, you can get it there. 1 John is a little bit bit little book towards the end of the Bible, right after Revelation, right before uh, Jude, and right before 2nd and 3rd John. We've been working through 1st John together, and uh, we, we've seen where John is addressing some false teaching that's in the church. And these false teachers are, were, later came to be known by the word Gnostics. And that's actually spelled with a G. <laughs> Silent G. G-N-O. And some of these false teachings that have been going on, you can see... Chapter 1, verse 6, verse 8, verse 10. He addresses those specific things that they're teaching, that they're spreading around. And you notice he, and we pointed out, he uses that phrase, if we say, and if we say, if we say. So each of those false teachings, he uh, exposes it. There is, in each case, untruth about sin in the Christian life. Re remember what they were, the first claim. It doesn't matter how you live. You can still have fellowship with the Father. It doesn't matter how you live. And then the next claim. Well, maybe if you're a super Christian like us, you won't even have a sin nature. Or the third false claim, hey, Christian, you can be perfect altogether and stop all sin. All sin. And John challenges those statements, those false teachings, these false prophets, these false apostles are teaching in the church. And he made, made it clear before that sin is an ongoing reality in our lives. But having made that statement, you could draw the conclusion, well, if we're sinners... I guess I'll just keep on sinning. What's the use in, in not trying, not sinning? You, you could say, since sin is an ongoing reality in a believer's life, maybe should we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, I'll just do whatever I can do. It's really not a big problem. I'll just keep on sinning. How many times have you heard this week, or maybe you have said this week, I, best of my knowledge, I've heard it three times this week. Well, nobody's perfect. You heard that? You said that this week? It's a true statement, but we oftentimes say it to excuse our own sin or to lessen the blow when we deal with sin. Well, no one's perfect, but look at John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John wants to address that kind of attitude. And John's going to say, no, 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 no. 
I don't, I don't want to promote to you and say it doesn't matter. Say, okay, you're going to, sin is an ongoing reality, so it doesn't matter how you live. No, no, that's not why I have told you the things that I've told you. In fact, I've told you these things because I want you, I want to promote holiness. I want to promote among you a pursuit of holiness and godliness. So, let's look at chapter 2 in the first two verses. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, the ongoing problem of sin in the Christian life, you should not just shrug your shoulders and say, oh well, I can't help myself. John says, there's three things that you need to remember. First off, he tells us in verse 1, what's the goal of his writing? And we'll see that. Second thing, he points them, here's the basis of your forgiveness, and here's where your strength to fight sin comes from, and he points them to Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And then the third thing, he shows that Jesus is the only hope for forgiveness. All right? So those are the three things that we see in this text, and we're going to walk through these two verses together. So, a right view of sin, what he has talked about before in verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1, should not cause us to dismiss sin, but should cause us to pursue holiness. So, notice verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. All that he's written before, he wrote that so you wouldn't sin. When he said, if you say you do not sin, you're a liar. He's actually writing that to you so that you be honest about sin, but not so you shrug your shoulders about it. He wants you to fight that sin. He wants it to promote holiness. He doesn't want to diminish your drive or your pursuit of holiness and godliness. He wants to encourage that. He wants you to know how to fight. He wants you to know how to fight against sin. He wants you to know how to grow in grace, how to grow in godliness, how to grow in holiness, so that, he says, so you may not sin. I need that. I know something about you. You need that. Here's how you fight sin. Here's what it looks like. John's purpose is encouraging them to pursue a life of holiness. Now, he knows Christians cannot live sinlessly. But he never wants Christians to stop hating their sin. He never wants you to quit fighting. He never wants you to stop growing in holiness and growing in the grace of God and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so a right view of sin in the life of a Christian shouldn't make us complacent about sin. It should stir in us a longing to fight and to hate sin. 
And now he's telling us how to fight it, what to do, how to do it. So do you want to grow in holiness? you want to grow in grace? you want to fight sin? Listen to what he says. Um, if you want to just excuse your own sin and pretend that it doesn't matter, friends, that's ultimately that's a sign of a graceless heart. Because once you've seen the truth about sin and the life of a Christian, you're not, you're not happy with it. You want to change. You want to fight it. Uh, when you understand sin and grace, you don't want to go on sinning. When you understand how Jesus died for our sins, it actually bothers us when we sin. Because we know what it did to Jesus, whom we love, more than anything. We should not have a glib attitude about sin. Oh, well, I'm not perfect. God will forgive me anyway. That's what God does. That's what he's for. That's his job. Friends, that kind of attitude is evidence of a graceless heart. The work of God's grace in the heart, when that's there, you begin to hate sin. And you want to change. And you don't want to continue doing the things that you did before. Will you be perfect? No. But you want to be. You long to be like Jesus. So, first thing. The purpose he's writing? To promote holiness. Promote holiness. I'm writing these things so that you will not sin. Don't just shrug your shoulders and keep sinning. Second thing. He points us to the work and the person of Jesus. Here's, so how am I going to fight sin? Where's my confidence? If I'm told, hey, I'm a sinner, I'm going to keep on, the sin's going to always be there, where's the confidence going to have, come from if I'm going to fight sin? Where, where's the source of holiness going to come from if I know I have, even as a believer, I'm a sinner. I'm just a justified sinner. Where's that going to come from? Why, why are Christians not frozen and paralyzed when we consider the reality of sin in our own lives? Well, John says, look at the person of Jesus Christ. Consider what Jesus Christ has done. How are you supposed to live a godly life? Do you just put up a checklist? I check off all the things. Look at this. I'm a godly person. No, no, no. He says, look to Jesus Christ. That's how you become a godly person. Look to Christ. How do you fight sin in your life? You look to Christ. This is where he's going to point us. And there's three things about Jesus particularly he tells us. He is our advocate. He is righteous. And here's the $2 word. He's our propitiation. We're going to talk about all three of those, okay? Three things. He is our advocate, he is righteous, and he is our propitiation. Consider those in turn. He is your advocate. That's a law court uh, metaphor right there, all right? So, imagine right now you are standing before the throne of God, the, the judgment seat of God. You. He's just told you in chapter 1, you've got sin. 
<laughs> you've, got, you've got sin, if you ever tell me you're not sinning, you're a liar. How are you going to stand before the judgment of God? How are you going to come before the bar of a holy and righteous God? How can you stand before his judgment seat knowing that your sins, they're weighing on us? Well, John says, Jesus is your advocate. He's your defense counsel. Who's going to argue your case? Jesus is. Jesus is the attorney who is going to represent you at the bar of justice, God's justice. Now note specifically the phrase John points us to. He doesn't just say Jesus is an advocate. He says Jesus is your advocate before whom? The Father. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is our advocate with the Father. So two grand realities here. You consider, you deserve punishment. God is holy and righteous. And you stand before the judgment seat and you realize and you know that you're a sinner. You know you have come short of the glory of God. And as much as you maybe have uh, strived to live a good life or to live a holy life, you failed. You failed in all the commandments. Every one of us in this room have failed at all of them. There's been murder in our hearts. There's been lust in our hearts. There's been greed in our hearts. There's been anger in our hearts. There's been stealing in our hearts. Every sin conceivable, we have done it. We've known it. Now, some sins I know in greater proportion than other sins. And you know some sins in greater proportion than other sins. We are all like that, but we can barely lift our eyes and look, can we? We can't look at this judge. The judge is God. He is just. He is righteous. Uh, uh, sin, he cannot stand sin in his presence. And in the judgment, we deserve to be condemned because of our sin. But then you remember, just like we remembered at this table, John says you have an advocate with the Father. You have an advocate before the Father. And so two things. As you lift your eyes to the heavenly Father, you know he's pure, he's just, he's holy. He's not going to let sin go unpunished. He knows everything. He searches to and fro on the earth, searching out wickedness and evil. But I also know this. He is, by grace, my Heavenly Father. And there's nothing in the world that He wants more than to acquit me of my sin. And there's nothing in the world He wants more than to pronounce over me the sentence of not guilty. And He, so much so that He sent His only Son to die for me. And that Son is my advocate before the Father. So understand, it's not a picture of sweet, loving Jesus standing before some heavenly ogre who's just ready to crush you and send you to hell. That's not the picture. It's not the picture here. It is a holy God and a perfect Savior. That's what we see. 
It's not love saying to justice, oh, justice, won't you please show some mercy? No, when Jesus, the advocate, the defense counsel, when he stands before the Father, he says, you may show mercy because of what I've done. He says, Father, look at what I have done for their sins. Boy, that's the advocate we need. And then we're told the second thing, he's righteous. Jesus is righteous. Now, if you're a guilty criminal, that might not bring you any peace. Because you know what? Your, your defense counsel is not the one on trial. You are. It doesn't matter how good he is. You're not. You're guilty. You're a criminal. My problem's not my defense attorney. He's not on trial. But in this case, the defense attorney, he's not only my advocate. He's the one who's going to be the sacrifice for sin. We'll see that when we get to the word propitiation. That he lived, Jesus here lived a righteous life, perfect life, righteously in my place. He has taken the penalty of my sins and the death that I deserve. And so when Jesus the advocate stands before God, right, he reminds him God's justice has been fulfilled. And all those who trust in Christ through his death, God can show them grace. He can show them mercy. Because Jesus, he's not just their advocate. He is the righteous one who always obeyed the Father. He obeyed the Father in everything. He never disobeyed. He was without sin. This is who Jesus is. And the wounds that he has, they're pleading for us. These wounds were for you, Christian. You stand before the Father, and he's pure and holy, and Jesus' wounds say, their penalty's been paid by the righteous one who, who obeyed perfectly. Five bleeding wounds plead for you. We have an advocate with the Father, and it's Jesus, the righteous one, the righteous Messiah. And friends, that's the theme. The righteous Messiah is throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's applied to the Messiah over and over again in the Old Testament. And the New Testament picks it up. The, the authors of the New Testament, they emphasize over and over again that Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus' purity, Jesus' sinlessness, Jesus' righteousness and, and, and purity and sinlessness. You see it here in 1 John. You see it in this chapter in verse 6. You see it in verse 29. You're going to see it in chapter 3, verses 3 and 5 and 7. And it, this is a messianic theme that the Messiah, he isn't just a king. He's the righteous king. He is pure and holy in all that he does. Jesus is the righteous one. And that's important. Because the holy God who punishes sin, all of his, all of his demands, all of his judgments, they've been fulfilled to the nth degree. They've been fulfilled perfectly. Fulfilled 
by the active and passive obedience to Christ. Active and passive obedience. Active. He positively obeyed the Father in everything. He obeyed all of God's laws negatively, passively. He receives on his own body, on the tree, for us, the due penalty of our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The righteous one stood in my place and became sin for me. Why? So that I might be forgiven. So that you would be forgiven. He's our advocate. But it's Jesus the righteous. So, Christian, if you're weighed down by sin, whatever that sin is, anxieties, worries, guilt, uh, temptations that come, look to Jesus Christ. He's righteous. He's righteous in every way that we're not righteous. He is. So look to him. And he's our propitiation. Now, that's a $2 word. Big word. It's not the word you use when you're sitting at the table having a Dr. Pepper with somebody usually. Propitiation. So I want to pause. Let's see, what's it mean? To propitiate means to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. Means to turn God's wrath away. Means to offer a sacrifice that appeases God's just judgment, his righteous anger against sin. That righteous anger is turned away. That's propitiation. You see this over and over again in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, which I so appreciated. Mark mentioned in his prayers how, so go into the courtyard or go into the temple, right? Go into the tabernacle, and you see all these dead carcasses laying around you. The, the thought has been driven into the people of God. You see all their bloody bodies. And they're all around. You see those bodies that are charred and burned, the remains of animals. And it's picturing that God's wrath has been visited. God's wrath on my sin has been visited upon another, given to another. God's just judgment, his, his bloody judgment, this condemning judgment has been laid on another. It's a picture of what we deserve. We deserve death. All the ceremonies in the Old Testament, these ritual sacrificial systems, it pointed this, that, that sins are transferred to these beasts. But Hebrews, right, 9 and 10 says the blood of bulls and goats, they cannot forgive sin. It cannot be a propitiating sacrifice that, that finally and fully turns away the wrath of God. So, what turns away God's wrath? Jesus. He's the propitiation. He does that. He is the one. So, he, and notice it doesn't say he's the propitiator. He's not just the one like the priest in the Old Testament that would bring the sacrifice. He is the priest. But he's the priest who offers himself and sacrifices himself. He is the propitiation. He is both priest 
and sacrifice. And so when you're fighting sin, look, you, you, I want you to know, you've got this advocate with the Father. He's, Jesus will be your defense attorney. He'll plead your case. He is righteous and he's holy. And uh, uh, he was a, your substitute. So look to the righteous Christ and look to Jesus. He is the propitiation, we're told, for your sins. He, through his death, turned away God's wrath and God's anger. He did that. He took God's wrath in your place. Only he did that. Jesus' person, his work, there's the ground for you fighting against sin. This is the source for your holiness. You looked at Jesus. He's pleading your case. You looked at Jesus. He is perfectly righteous in all things. You looked at Jesus. He is the propitiation for your sin. Now, Sometimes, though, when we go back to biblical metaphors, it's hard to think through. So kids, I, I, how can a kid remember the word propitiation? What's that mean? So, I don't always have illustrations, but today I've got illustrations. So God is in the heavens and he is holy. And I, a sinful person, deserve wrath. So imagine, God's holy, his wrath coming down upon me. The idea of propitiation is Jesus takes the wrath that would be coming down upon me, he takes it and turns it away. So God's wrath that I deserve fell on Jesus, not me. He takes it, he satisfies it, and I'm left untouched. And so the reason why those who trust in Christ, we're not frozen and paralyzed by our sins. We're not hopeless in the fight against sin. It's because of Jesus Christ. And so over and over and over, three times, he says, look to Jesus Christ. He's your advocate. He is righteous. He is the propitiation for your sins. And then you can deal realistically with sin. You don't have to deny it, pretend it's not there. You can deal with it because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. All right? That's who he is. That's what he's done. So John says, I want you to be holy. And the key to holiness, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Look to him. The key to killing sin, look to Jesus who bore the wrath of God in your place, who became sin for you. The righteous one who became sin for you. That's the key. What's the key to growing in grace? Look to Jesus Christ. Over and over again, look to Christ. Final thing. Look at verse 2. Notice Jesus is the only basis of the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. Verse 2. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Friends, this is a truth that is loved and is precious to gospel-believing, gospel-preaching, gospel-sharing, Baptist everywhere, and all believers everywhere. That salvation is a free gift. It's the action of God whereby all, 
All those who trust in Christ as Lord and Messiah, they're delivered from their condition of sin and misery. And they're brought into a new condition of forgiveness and new life. Membership into God's family. Uh, growing holiness. Eternal fellowship with God. Any and all and only those who trust in Christ, God's Son, are saved. Any and all and only those who trust in him are saved. That's what he sets out. So two things particularly. First, Jesus is the one and only Savior. He is the one and only Savior for the whole world. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, all of us. He is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction of God's wrath. He gives salvation to any and all in the whole world. Those who trust in him. That's the key, right? By faith, they receive the benefits of his death. Those who embrace the gospel. It's not just for a little minority group of Christians in Asia Minor. It's for those all over the whole world that trust in him. Who embrace the gospel. That's what the propitiation is for. For all those who trust him. This enlarges our heart for the world, doesn't it? Scott prayed for those in Nicaragua. He prayed for those in, in Scotland. You guys that went witnessing just last two days at uh, Oktoberfest. And it was Oktoberfest in Harrisburg, but there's people from all over there. Wisconsin. Tennessee. I say that like Tennessee's the ends of the earth. <laughs> Sometimes it might feel that way. But from all over, all over. And we've got good news to tell in Jesus' name. Because of this. So this truth enlarges the Christian's heart for the world because we long to see everyone embrace Jesus. He is the only satisfaction for sins. He is the only hope for people to find eternal life. Second, he's the only way of salvation for the whole world. He's not one good way among many possible ways. He's not one of the better ways among many ways. He's not even the best way among many ways. He is the only way that you can come to know God. He's the only way you can receive the forgiveness of sins. He is the only one who can make you fit for heaven. Or the language of John. Jesus is the only God provided satisfaction for the sins of the world. So everyone, if you're going to know salvation, you have to come to him and him only. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the only way that you'll ever get to heaven is through Christ. Through him. There are not different ways. You'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough religious activity. You'll, ne you'll never be a good enough person. You've already messed it up. 
They're not different ways to get there. There's only one way. And I know in our generation that's intolerant. But John is stressing this truth that there's salvation only in one person. Jesus Christ. Jesus only. For the whole world, there's only one way to get to heaven. Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be reconciled to a holy God. Jesus the righteous. There's only one propitiation for sin. Jesus. And so that puts the question to us here. Have you embraced Jesus? Have you? If you have not embraced him, he's the only forgiveness for your sins that you'll ever find. There will be no other forgive way to find. We talked to a Catholic lady yesterday. She, she said a very truism. We both want to go to the same place, but we just disagree about how we get there. Because she thought her baptism took away her sin nature, the very things we've been talking about. She was telling the truth. We both say we want to go to the same place, but we honestly disagree about how the only way to get there. Jesus is the only way to get there. If you have not embraced him, look to him and trust him today. Trust him. Coming, eating bread and juice won't get you there, but trusting the one that that represents will. If you are a Christian, John is reminding us, keep on looking to the Savior. You keep on fighting sin. That's why he's writing. You fight as long, as long as it's today until finally Jesus comes again and you're taken up into glory and you won't have a struggle with sin anymore. You keep fighting. And how are you going to do that, Christian? Keep looking to Jesus. He's the advocate. He's the righteous one. He's the propitiation. He paid the penalty for your sins. He satisfied the just judgment of God in your place. So for all of us in that, this room, it's one of those two things. Look to him. Trust him. Receive the forgiveness. Or keep looking at him. Keep trusting in him. And keep fighting sin. That's what John sets before us. Let's pray. Lord God, you are glorious. Your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the work of your spirit. And so would you draw us to Jesus? We, we pray for those that are, they've never bowed the knee Christ. They've never bowed their heart to Christ and said, you're my king. I will follow you. Lord, may they do that today. May they repent of their sins and may they trust in Jesus. And Lord, never let them go. Keep them. You're the only one that can keep them. And Lord, for we that are your children, would you fix our eyes on Jesus so that as we fight sin, we will not grow discouraged and weary. But we'll keep on looking to him who is perfect. That he'll be set before our eyes. That we will not despair over our own sins. Because we look to Jesus and we remember he's the propitiation. 
He took the wrath that I deserve. And Lord, we pray, would you indeed forgive our sins and hear all of our prayers. For Jesus' sake, he's our advocate. He's the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but for the whole world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.